Well, good morning to each one of you. If you'd like to turn to John, the second chapter, we'll get over there shortly. There's a few comments I need to make before I maybe get started. We saw Amon Contrion a couple of times this week. He's not doing real well, but he did want me to uh, say hello to the church and express his deepest gratitude for your love and faithfulness over the years towards him. He's uh, His health is not good, and he's very much longing to go home. <clears throat> and so, y'all, when I say home, he's, he's talking about his heavenly home. He, he knows he cannot go back to Guyana. He's on dialysis, and that's not available down there. So uh, I wanted to make sure I conveyed that to you because he was very adamant that I tell you that I send his love to you and all. <clears throat> Another thing, as far as your church, I'll make a few comments if I'm allowed about you looking for a pastor. First of all, I'm not a candidate. I, I know y'all wasn't looking for me to be a candidate, but I want you to know I, I know I'm not a candidate. So that's that's not <clears throat> in the... I'm where the Lord wants me to be. I'm quite satisfied of that. And uh, so that's the only place I want to be is where the Lord wants me to be. And so uh, I'll get that out of the way just in case somebody thinks I, I misunderstand things. But as a church seeks its next pastor, I, th- I think it would be wise counsel to caution you to not be in too big a hurry. Uh, you need to wait on the Lord. Uh, that's That's all through the Bible about waiting on the Lord. If you are the Lord's church, and I verily believe you are one of the Lord's churches or I wouldn't be here, uh, but if you are the Lord's church, I'll put it that way, then the Lord loves this church more than any of y'all do. And the Lord's going to look after this church. The Lord is preparing a man for you and preparing you for that man. And when the time is right, he will send that man. And uh, y'all wait and be very prayerful. It's a good exercise. Be praying about things like this. Spend a lot of time there uh, and until the Lord reveals to the congregation whom his man is. And when the Lord sends that man, he will not be Paul Jackson. He probably won't be like Paul Jackson, but he will be God's man for you for that time. I don't know of anybody out there that would come close to being like Paul Jackson. So don't look for that. Uh, that's The Lord has taken him off the scene, and he has somebody else for you. Trust the Lord in this. And when I say wait on the Lord, sometimes we uh, we picture that as sitting back in your recliner and just waiting. Uh, waiting on the Lord has more to do like a waitress at a restaurant is waiting on somebody. You do what the Lord would have you do every moment of every day, you know, and that's waiting on the Lord. Do what he would have you to do. And uh, as, as you men are filling in, I know Winston's very capable, and Winston gets a lot of blessings from that. I would uh, encourage the other men also to step up and uh, take a subject at times and stand up here and and uh, give your give a message. Uh, there's the Bible is full of subjects that's just just wide open. You can you know if you can't find something to talk about about the love of God, uh, you haven't opened your Bible. Or or the love that we're to have one for another, 
Or you can uh, give a message on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity there. You can give a uh, message on Old Testament types. You can give a message on uh, things like faith, grace, uh, forgiveness, compassion, long-suffering, all these attributes of the character of God. Each one, the Bible's full of these things. You can just open it up and open your concordance and you can bring something there. You can give the Bible stories. You can give the, uh, Daniel and the lion's den, the three Hebrew children, Samson, uh, David and Goliath. All these things are just wide open. There's, there's stories that are exciting and you can bring in these things. You can talk about salvation. You can talk about redemption, reconciliation, atonement, cleansing. You can talk about sanctification, glorification. You can talk about heaven. There's a, the Bible's full. What I'm what I'm saying is, pick you a subject and, and study it. You will gain. You will draw closer to the Lord, and uh, you will probably help some other people too. But there, at least one person will gain. I think Brother Winston could tell you every time he studies, he draws closer to the Lord, and it's a blessing to him. You know, don't you want some of them blessings too? Each one of you. So so do that, and you say, well. I'm fearful about standing before the congregation. I will say this, if you're not fearful, don't come. Moses trembled when he went up on the mount to get the Ten Commandments. But who got a greater blessing than what Moses did that day? So if you're standing before the Lord, it is a, it is a fearful thing. But where else you want to stand? Okay, I'll move on. John, the second chapter. If you want to follow me, then I will encourage you to do that. I'm only going to read three verses right now, but uh, we'll uh, expand and read more verses as we go on. But this will be my text. John, second chapter in verse 23. says there, Now when he was in Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus... At the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. And when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and I ask, Lord, that you would enable us to speak upon this. I ask, Lord, that you'd give us clarity here. Help us to draw closer to you, to understand better your work and your way and your will. Uh, Lord, I ask your richest blessings on this congregation. Watch over them, Lord, And at this time. It's a time that could be uh, somewhat dangerous, but it's also a time where they could grow and draw closer to you as they learn to rely upon you and depend upon you and seek your face. So help them to do that, Lord, and and give them the growth that comes from that. And then I ask that you would send them the man that you have, uh, that you're preparing for them, and continue to prepare prepare them for that man. And, uh, Lord, I I ask that you would do that. I also ask this morning, as we uh, endeavor to bring the message, we look to you. Depending upon you, I ask that you fill us all of your spirit so that we might speak, so that we might hear, and so that we might do and live in light of this. If any are not saved here today, 
And certainly they would uh, very likely that way. I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and their hearts so that they would receive your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in our text, uh, Jesus has been, uh, he he had just uh, recently uh, turned the water into wine. And then after that, he went to Jerusalem for the Passover. And at the Passover, he had cleansed the temple there. And there was many Jews that were ready to uh, accept him because of that. But if you read in the context and all, it seems like it was a superficial acceptance of him. They were happy to have somebody that could perform miracles and also somebody that would stand up to the Jews because everybody knew that the way that the Jews were conducting things well, it was a perverted way in in which they were doing this. So they were, uh, as it says there, uh, they they uh, it says when they saw the miracles they did, they was ready to accept him. They believed in his name. But it says, uh, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. I need to say this before I get started because you're going to think I've plumb left my text here. But I haven't left my text as I go through the uh, the Gospel of John here. We we need to understand that every text comes with a context. you got to keep it in its context. And in, uh, as we're reading a book of the Bible, whether it's in the New Testament or Old Testament, we need to understand what the what the purpose of the book is what that goal of that particular book is a gospel epistle or whatever it is what is the purpose why did god send that to you you need to discern what dispensation is talking about is it the old testament or is it the new is it the gospel age the church age is he writing to a church you know if he's writing to a church then what he writes is to a church in particular it doesn't mean that you can't apply it other places, but the particular application is to the church. In the Gospels here, you can see uh, that he has uh, uh, is presenting Jesus Christ and salvation through Jesus Christ. In this Gospel of John, you can know exactly why he wrote the Gospel of John. The reason why you can know exactly why he wrote the Gospel of John is because John tells us why he wrote the Gospel of John. If you want to look in John the 20th chapter, he will tell you there in verse 30 and 31. And of course, this is all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he will tell you in John the 20th chapter in verse 30 and 31, says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written... That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. If I could uh, maybe uh, give my own little translation of that last little phrase there, that you might have life through his name, that you might be born again. That be that would be appropriate for my message this morning. Everyone must be born again. That's Jesus' own words there. And so, in, in keeping with what the overall theme of the Bible is, that you might know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'll put it that way, as a Son of God, that you might know Him, 
then let's go back to our text and understand that this is written that we might know him. Uh, that's, that's part of the purpose of what he wrote this here. My understanding is in verse 24 and 25, it says, Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify a man for he knew what was in man. Jesus understood what man is. Man is a soul. Uh, we have a, a physical body for a time and we have a spirit, but man is a soul and every soul needs a savior. Without exception, every soul needs a Savior. The reason why every soul needs a Savior is because we're all the offspring of Adam. And Adam, as the seventh chapter of Romans tells us, sold us under sin. And so you're born into this world needing a Savior. Before you have done good or bad, you need a Savior because you were born of Adam. You have a depraved nature. You're separated from God. You're alienated from the life of God. You come into this world with physical life, but not spiritual life. And without spiritual life, you will not spend eternity with God. You will spend eternity away from God. And there's only one place that can be, and that's in the lake of fire we call hell. And so every man has this great need. Every soul needs a Savior. And Jesus knew what was in every man. Every man has this need. And so that's the context that I'm going with here, and so you will know uh, what I'm starting off with. In Romans, the third chapter, just to expand somewhat on we're born without God and without hope, but in Romans, the third chapter, it says in that verse, What then? Are we better than they? The Apostle Paul's asking the Jews. He says, no, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Now, he's going to use the word all here, and the word all here means all without exception. There's no exception. You are not the exception. I am not the exception. There is no one save the Lord Jesus Christ that's ever been born in this world that is not included in this all. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous. And just in case you say, oh, yeah, no, he says, no, not one. Now, I want you to understand something about what the Scripture says here. This is God's judgment. This is what God has already evaluated each of us as, and God is our judge. So if the judge says, you're not fit, then you're not fit. It goes on, 11th verse, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And in the 23rd verse, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does it mean to come short of the glory of God? You've come short of his standard. It's like, you know, you're used to see, I used to see, maybe y'all have these uh, martial arts films, you know, and somebody be fighting, they jump from one bill to another. You ever seen that? You know, just jump, you know, and there go, well, yarn, the other one jumps over. 
Well, what if you jump and you come short? You're up ten stories. It's, you know, that's the end. <laughs> you know, that's why he said we have all sinned and come short of God's standard, of the glory of God. That's our natural standing there. And in the third chapter of John, the 18th verse, it tells us and puts a cap on this. It says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You don't have to do anything to be condemned. You're condemned already. Now, nobody likes this message. Nobody likes to be told, well, you're just not good enough. But that's the message of God's Word. If you could, the Bible will tell you, if you could be good enough, if you could work your way to salvation, then God would not have sent His Son to die in our place instead. He would have required you to work. But He says, you know, not by works of righteousness, which any man has done. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. So He sent Him there. So, you know, so the great subject before us is salvation and the need that every man has for salvation. And I'm going to do something that's a little different. I've never done it quite this way, but I'm going to give you five people that John presents in the Gospel of John to show you different types of people, but they all have one need. That's life from God. And so, you know, immediately after the second chapter, I'll give you some deep theology today. After the second chapter comes the third chapter. Now that's, you know, you can write that down. I'm right about that. Right after the second chapter, in the third chapter, it starts out with the first man. The first example that John gives us of somebody who needs salvation. His name is Nicodemus. You're all very familiar with Nicodemus, are you not? Nicodemus was a a very religious man. He was a man, he was a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was a teacher among the Jewish faith there. He was born right. He was educated right. He was living right as far as everybody knew. But what did Jesus tell him he needed? He said, you must be born again. That was his great need. It doesn't matter if you're born right. I I was born in a preacher's household. You know what I needed? I needed salvation. You can relate to that, right? (laughs) Yeah. Those who are born in a preacher's household have no advantage in this respect. The only advantage we might have is we hear the gospel more often maybe than others. But we still need salvation. We need to be born again. We must be born again is Jesus' own words. Ye must be born again. So he's the first one there. A man that was very godly in some respects. A man that was born right. A man that was educated right. And a man that was living somewhat right at best he knew. Yet Jesus said you must be born again. You need salvation. If you go from the third chapter, the next chapter is the fourth chapter. And in the fourth chapter, we will find another example of someone who has this great need. Another soul who needs salvation. If you're familiar with uh, your Bible there, in the fourth chapter, you will see this woman at the well. 
And Jesus comes to this woman at the well. And this woman here, she has her problems. She's, first of all, she's uh, not living with any of her husbands, but she's living with another woman's husband at that time. She's living in the open adultery. She was a great sinner, no doubt. And she come to the well, not looking for anything but water. She was coming in the middle of the day to avoid everybody else. But she came, and Jesus had an appointment to meet her there. And he met her, and he talked to her. And though she did not know it, and she was not looking for it, what was it he told her she needed? said, I, you, you know, if you will ask me, I will give you these living waters. That's just another phrase of saying the new birth, to be born again. And so that was her great need there. Her need was life. And she was helpless of herself to get it. Didn't even know she needed it. But yet she did. Now, I guess y'all catching on by now. The next chapter is the fifth chapter. And we find another man here in the fifth chapter of John. Another soul. And this soul is an impotent man. A man that's disabled. He's laid on a cot beside a pool. And at times... Uh, there'd be a troubling of the water of the pools when the angel come down and the first one who could get in the water was healed. And apparently this truly happened because, you know, who's going to lay there for 38 years hoping this to, for this to happen unless you know it happens. But he had problems. He could not get in the pool. And so I want to read here in the fifth chapter, if you... Uh, want to read verse 5 through 7 says, Now a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Now you just think about that. This man had been infirm for thirty eight years. Unable to take care of himself. Unable to do as much as roll over in the pool when the waters were stirred. But yet he was there hoping that maybe somebody might push him into the water when the waters were stirred. And he was there, so Jesus comes to him and says in verse 6, When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Says, you know, would, would you like to be made whole? Now there's a lot of people in this world who would like to go to heaven. Most everybody, you know, would. Now I've heard some people say otherwise, but... They either don't really believe in hell or just, you know, just trying to stir the pot a little bit, you know. Most everybody wants to go to heaven, but, you know, the trouble is uh, we've been told by so many people, well, you do this, you know. You you uh, uh, join the church or you be baptized or you do so many works or, uh, you know, make sure your good works out, outnumber your bad works. Uh, you know, told all kinds of works. This man could do nothing. He's a picture of the lost there. Without help, without hope, impotent, unable. And so there he is in the seventh verse. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. You see, he was helpless. And it was hopeless, really. 
I mean, who was going to come push him in the pool when they needed to go first? And only one got healed, apparently. So it was hopeless until Jesus came to him. Jesus healed him. But that's a picture of the loss there in a helpless and a hopeless situation. That was your third one. Now that I've got you used to going from the second to the third to the fourth to the fifth chapter, skip over to the ninth. <laughs> so it won't work for the, go one more chapter that way. I got two more examples here that John brings forth, which are pictures of the lost and their condition and their need. In the ninth chapter of John, we read in the first three verses or four verses here, I will read this. And Jesus passed by, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was born. Uh, I'll, let me try again. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And so they're saying, you know, obviously there's sin somewhere. There's a problem here. This man's born blind, was it? And, you know, they're asking, did he sin that he was born blind? I mean, it doesn't seem like you'd even ask a question like that, does it? You know, you can't do good or evil until you're born, and uh, but are his parents. But listen to what Jesus says here. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Now, he did not mean they had never sinned. He said there was never, not a sin that they did that caused this blindness. That's, that's what he meant because we've done read all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's what he's meant here. Uh, this is not because of this man's sin or his parents' sins. He says, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He says, I must work the works of him that sent me while his day. The night cometh when no man can work. So here he is. This man was born blind. He inherited his condition. I talked to you before that if you're born of Adam, what did you inherit? You inherited Adam's nature, a fallen nature, a nature that needed to be redeemed. You must be born again if you're born of Adam. This man was born blind. He could not even see that there was anything there, and much less do anything about it. So <clears throat> this man's condition was he was blind, much like Jesus told Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again, so unless you're born Again, you cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. So this is a picture of the blind, also a type of the lost uh, there. And we we don't uh, we come into this world and we cannot even see that there is a spiritual kingdom there, much less how to enter in. We don't have uh, the faith that uh, don't have eyes of faith until the Lord opens our eyes. And that's what the Lord did for this man. He opened his eyes so that he might see. It was the Lord who did it. It wasn't the man. He didn't do anything to earn this or to help along this. Jesus is the one that spit on the ground and then put the mud in his eyes. And that's what healed him. Now I've got another one. Let's go to the 11th chapter of John. And you all, I'm sure, are familiar with the 11th chapter of John and what goes on there. 
This is a story of one man called Lazarus. And by now, you probably understand that I'm giving these examples as of examples of lost people. And this is a real good example of a lost person in the fact that he was dead. He'd been dead long enough, he stinketh. You know, and that's the condition we're all in without Christ. We stink in the nostrils of God. But he was dead. What did he need? Well, what does a dead man need? That's very obvious. He needs life. In Ephesians, the second chapter in the first verse says, And ye have he quickened who was dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking about spiritual death there. This was physical death. But it is a type of what the lost is and what they need. His sisters believed, but his sister's faith could not raise him from the dead. Only Jesus could do that. And so we see here, John gives us five examples for our learning here. Each one of these souls needed life, the life of God. And each one of these were without hope until Jesus came into their life and gave them what they needed. That's the picture of the lost. We all need life. We must be born again. Every one of you sitting here, I ask you, do you know what it means to be born again? Have you been saved? If you've been saved, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't been saved, I'm giving you what God says. And I'm giving you this uh, and hoping that you can understand with God's help what needs to be done in your life. You need to be born again. And we are without hope until and unless Jesus comes and has to do with us. But what has God done for us? If you go back to our text, we'll be close by there. Our text says, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. What he knew was in man was a soul, a soul that needed a savior, a depraved soul. A soul that was separated from God, alienated from the life of God. What every soul needs is a Savior. They need life. And that's, that's, you know, that's the theme that goes through this whole book of John. You must be born again. You must be born again. And so in John 3.16, some of y'all familiar with this verse, it says, there, it, it speaks of what God did, the same as what Jesus did as he went to these five people. Jesus initiated things. Nicodemus first come to him, but not looking for salvation. You know, he, he's, he's probably coming in there to let Jesus know, hey, you know, I am the teacher in Israel. And by the way, if you read in the margin of your Bible, that's what it says. He is the teacher in Israel. He was a top teacher in Israel, but he come there. But Jesus didn't didn't listen to his flatteries or anything. He just cut straight to the chase. He said, ye must be born again. And I'll tell each one of you today, ye must be born again. That's Jesus' evaluation of you. It's, it's straight there. 
and there's no exceptions to that. But of our, we're, uh, excuse me, but of ourselves, we are helpless and therefore hopeless unless and until God comes to us. God had to initiate things. But John 3.16 says he did initiate things. It is God's work. It says, for God so loved the world. Now, who so loved the world? God so loved the world. And I want you to look at that little two-letter word there, so. Can you get your arms wrapped around that so? I mean, how big is that so? I cannot... I cannot understand with my, you know, I, I spend a lot of time doing it, but I cannot understand that kind of love, the kind of love that God had for a fallen world, a kind of love that was so rich, so deep, and so sufficient. It's exactly what we need. You know, anything less wouldn't do. And there, there could not be anything more. So he, he did the one thing that would be sufficient. What did he do? It says, for God so loved the world that it prompted him to do something that he gave his only begotten son, the most precious thing he had. Can you imagine giving your only child? For somebody that was your enemy? But that's the kind of love that God has for the lost. You see, he had set his love on some from eternity past. And though Adam sold us into sin, God didn't say, well, that's it, you know. I gave them their chance. No, he would not let us go. If he has set his love upon you, there's nothing can take it off. And the kind of love he has is the agape love, the love that commits itself to do one good. What do we all need? We all need a Savior. We all need life. So what did this love do? The God who so loved us? He sent us a Savior who would give us life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, five words there, he gave his only begotten Son. Why? There was a purpose in giving his Son. His Son would come. And he would take our sins in his own body and take them to the cross and bear them away. He would redeem us by his shed blood. And then he would give us his own righteousness. That's why he sent his son. Because his son would bring a full and a free salvation to us. So there's the that. The next word is whosoever. Whosoever is wide open. You know, it's just whosoever. That's what the Bible says. Whosoever. Now, can you put limits on whosoever? The Bible does. He says, that whosoever believeth. 
Now, who's put the limitations on there? Jesus and God says, whosoever. And you say, okay, I believe, I receive that. Or you say, I don't believe, so I'm not part of the whosoever. You know, the only, only those who believe are part of the whosoever. Whosoever believeth in him. Who's the him? Jesus Christ. It's not believe about him. It's believe in him. You're putting your full dependence upon Jesus Christ for your salvation. Not something you've done. Entirely on who he is and because of who he is, what he has done. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. To go through this world and not be born again and die without Christ is the way that you perish. You will spend eternity separated from God, separated from all that's good, and handed over to all that's torments and bad. Imagine yourself in a lake of fire and burning. And burning. Imagine yourself, you've been put in there. And maybe the first day you say, well, you know, sooner or later I will pay my penalty. But it may be a day, it may be a year, it may be a hundred years, it may be a thousand years, it may be a million years later. You will come to this. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. I'm here and I'm here forever and forever and forever. That's what it means to perish. But those who believe in Jesus Christ shall not, should not perish. I'll go so far as to say they will not perish. You know, that's what the weight of the rest of the Bible tells us. But have everlasting life. That word everlasting is other places in this very chapter translated eternal life. Comes from the same Greek word, they just translated it different. You will have the life of God. The life of God comes into you when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're born again. You're born from above. You're born of the Spirit of God. That's the life of God that comes into you. That's what you need. Forgiveness of sins, His righteousness, and the life of God. How does it come? Well, it's very plain in this verse. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's the gospel in one verse. Believe on him and you'll live. Or don't believe on him and you will perish. That's what John is writing his gospel about that you might believe on Jesus Christ the son of God and by believing on him you might have everlasting life 
Verse 17 and 18 in the third chapter, just to cap this off, says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, Jesus came. Now, if Jesus came to be an example of how to live so that you might go to heaven, you know what that would do to us? I would condemn us, Father, because we cannot and we do not live like Jesus did perfectly. But no, he didn't do that. Now, he did live, the life he lived is an example for a Christian to follow, but not an example of how to become a Christian. He never needed to be saved. He was never lost. Every one of us need salvation. Every soul needs salvation. So it says, therefore, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. He didn't need to do that, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. So you either condemned or you're not condemned. You come in this world condemned, but if you believe, you're not condemned. That's a condition. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you choose, say, well, no, I don't much think I'm interested in that. Listen to what he says. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why are you con- why do you continually be condemned? Because you're not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so I ask you, has this Savior come to you? Has there come a time when he came and he opened your eyes and your understanding to your need? And then you saw God's answer for your need in Jesus Christ. That is the answer. It's quite simple. A lot of people, and it's us preachers who complicate things. You know, preachers do a lot of that. And you ask them, well, what must I do to be saved? Well, do this and then be baptized and join. No, no. What did the jailer ask Paul, when he was there, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what did Paul, and Paul's theology was pretty good, what did Paul say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, after you're saved, there's a lot of good things you can do, but you can do no good thing till you are saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what John's gospel is written here, if I could stay in the context. These things were written that you might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life. Have you believed on him? Do you believe on him? If you do believe on him, if you put your dependence upon this man, the man Christ Jesus, then you are saved. You do have eternal life now. And if you don't, you are condemned already. And the only thing that can change that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The last verse I'll give you, it's a commentary of its own, but the last verse is John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath Everlasting life. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? He that believeth hath everlasting life.
And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Each one of you fit in that verse somewhere today. Every one of you. Either your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have everlasting life. Or else you're not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you do not have eternal life. You're condemned, and the wrath of God abideth upon you. So I ask each one of you, answer for yourself. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I would strongly urge you to put your faith and your trust in him. There's no other way. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ. If we could help you in any way, we would be glad to. And there's other men here who could help you also at any time. We think about you, church. We thank, we pray for y'all. But I'm, I'm very strongly believe that the God that sent you here and set you here is on the throne. And he's going to take care of you. Your duty is to follow him, to seek his face, and wait on him. Wait. Till he gives the church answer. It won't just be one, and it won't be a great division when it comes, I don't think. It'll be a general consensus that, yes, this is who God has sent us. There is no timetable. That's one of the worst things we do is put a timetable on God. God's time and our time oftentimes is not the same. It's a time where the church can grow. I would strongly urge you men to take take up the mantle, study. You'll draw closer to the Lord, and he'll help you and your family and your church. I strongly commend Winston for doing that already. Trust God. Trust God. Don't let your faith waver. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. I ask, Lord, that you help each one of us to answer the question in our own heart whether if we have truly been saved, been born again, if we know your Son as our Lord and Savior. Now, if we can answer that, yes, then we're most blessed. And, Lord, if any here answers that question, no, or I don't know, or worse yet, I don't care, Lord, I ask that you would trouble that soul and help them to see the danger that they're in so that they might turn to your Son, Jesus Christ, and accept him as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for this congregation. I ask your blessings upon them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.